Praise the Lord. So look at somebody next to you. Say, by the authority of God's word, you are not my problem. Hallelujah. So the next time you start to argue with your spouse, just say, by the authority of God's word, you're not my problem. And so I apologize. And then the two of you just go ahead and stomp on the devil's head. And dance a jig right there. Tell them you're not going to get a hold of our family anymore. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's not my message. I think that was a Holy Spirit interruption. But I believe if we don't get anywhere else, that's a good thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has given us life and given us life more abundantly. Amen. He's given us life and given us life more abundantly. And so when he came to save us, he didn't come to just save us from sin so that we could go to heaven. But Jesus came to save us in such a way that would transform our life. If you've been born again, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've called on him for Savior and you're waiting to go to heaven, praise the Lord, I believe that in that degree that you can go to heaven. But if you called upon him as Lord of your life, then you said, listen, I'm going to turn my life over to you. And he said, the moment that we turn our life over to him, we begin a process of transformation. Come on, now some of us are transformed slower than others. Some of us yield in different ways. Some of us just have different revelations. Some of us have different degrees of faith and understanding. But the day that you knelt in your closet, the day that you came up front, the day that you sat in your chair and sincerely said, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. He's so willing. He's so awesome. He says, I'll do it. Sometimes people think, well, would he do it where I've been? How, how, how bad I've been? The things that I've committed, would he do it? Sure. He says, I'll do it. Just like the centurion. He said, listen, uh, uh, would you come to my house? Knowing who Jesus was and really getting, as John said last week, Jesus to speak the word. But Jesus didn't hesitate for a moment. He said, my servant is, is tormented. He's sick. And Jesus said, I'll come. I'll come. See, the moment you ask Jesus into your heart, he says, I'll come. I'll come by the Holy Spirit. Why is he going to come? Because he knows that as he comes in, he breaks the power of sin. And the moment he comes in to be the Lord of your life, he begins by his spirit to work a transformation in your life. He begins to work miracles every single day. And you'll see him if we begin to allow him to allow us to grow and to know him more personally and more intimately. We begin to see if we're aware that I'm not the same this year as I was last year. And I'm not going to be the same in six months as I am right now. Because I realize that God is all-encompassing and he's working to change my life. Just as that song said, I once was dead and now I'm alive. But see, when you live for a, a period of your life under the guise of sin and death and the slavery of sin, you develop habits, you develop attitudes, you develop offenses, you protect yourself in so many ways. You have strongholds and barriers that are raised up that you don't even know about. When Jesus comes in, he says, we're going to take all that down. And we're going to start a process of reformation. We're going to start a process of transformation. And if you'll allow me, I'll begin to change your life until you don't look like the person you used to be under sin, but you begin to look more and more like a son and a daughter of God. Come on, he's come to do something tremendous in our life. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. I'm going to start with this. Whoo, glory to God. I believe we're just going to, you're going to look in the mirror and just say, man, God's doing something big. Who was it? John G. Lake. They, they, I think they said he'd look in the mirror and say, God lives in that man. God lives in that man. Instead of looking in the mirror and going, man, alive, age is taking its toll. Wow, look at them wrinkles. Oh, my gosh. Instead of looking at that natural, you look in the mirror and you say, whew. 
Ooh, man, God's doing something. See, we look at change all the time and not always favorably. Man, I'm changing. Man, the wrinkles are setting in. Boy, things aren't the way they used to be. Oh, man, I need to fix that. I need to, my hair's out of place. We look at all the natural. But we don't really look into the mirror and go, man, we need to get some change here. See, when we look into the supernatural mirror, we don't look and go, man, it's getting worse. Man, we need to fix that. Man, we need to get some cream for that. We begin to look in the mirror and say, boy, this is changing the other direction. Come on, I'm not deteriorating, right? Though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. There's something that we look in and we say, you know what? I, the outward man might be perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And there's something about the inward man that changes the look of the outward man. But if we're only concentrating on the outward man, it's perishing. It's moving a direction. But when we concentrate on the inward man, there's resurrection life. There's a renewing of life and mindsets to take place as we're filled with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Spirit begin to realize and cause us to realize who we are and who He is in us. It begins to be renewed day by day, day by day. There's a strengthening of the inner man that starts to take place day by day. And we're not looking at the outward man and its quality. Qualifications, but the inward man and the qualifications that come through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Change and transformation, that was his plan from the very beginning. To set you free from sin and death. Not to be the same old person that you used to be. Not to be the same old person that goes to a building on Sunday. But a different person. Somebody who arrives at that place gathering together with fellow believers. Being encouraged by the word of God. Looking at how we can be encouraged and encourage others. Not just fulfill a requirement. Because when we do, we begin to look at others and compare ourselves by ourselves. But when we have purpose and understand that God is changing us. And we're a part of something greater. We begin to not allow those things to creep in and to hinder us and to bring us down. But we begin to lift one another up. And even in Hebrews, the Bible says we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But we should come together to provoke one another to love and good works. And in the context of that, he says, immediately after that, he said, if we continue to sin after we have the knowledge of righteousness. So in other words, there's something that comes that should come as we come together in realization that there's a synergy going on by the power of God, by the resurrection life and by the flow, the supernatural flow, not the natural flow, but the supernatural flow of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. There's something going on even right now if we're listening that there's supernatural as the body gathers together that the blood is recognized and the blood and the life that's in the blood is flowing and the life that's in the blood is working working to cleanse out some impurities, to cleanse out some stuff that's hindering us. That if we allow it, we leave going, listen, I might have been corrected, I might have been instructed, I might have been edified wherever I was at, but whether I was corrected or instructed or edified, something's clearing out so that I can have life and have life to the overflow. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we're going to read a little bit here, but uh, just stay with me. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, tighten up your thought process. Come on, don't let your mind just wander everywhere. Tighten up your thought process. Be sober and rest your hope, your expectations fully. Everybody say fully. Come on, not just say, uh, yeah, when I feel like it. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Come on, as we sit together, as you listen, and there's a part of Jesus revealed to you, grace comes with that revelation. Grace comes with revelation. All of a sudden, you have revealed who Jesus is, that you look like that. You're like, I could never be like that. He says, if you have a revelation of who I am, there's grace to transform your life. There's grace to give you the ability to do what you need to do. There's grace. All right, I need to keep moving. Verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. See, we all know we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were ignorant. 
of the life of God, but no more. Can't plead ignorance anymore, right? Praise the Lord. We'd like to, but verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You might highlight that, underline that conduct, all right? We don't have time right now, but that word holy is something that we'll come back to at some point. Not today, but later. Verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, in reverence for who God is. Verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Come on, you couldn't earn it. You couldn't pay for it. It was by the precious blood of Jesus. It was a lamb slain without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Come on, our faith and our hope are in God. Not in the people around us, not in whatever tomorrow presents. Come on, we get an eternal perspective tomorrow. We can rejoice no matter what happens because we realize it's just a moment in time with eternity. Verse 22, since you were purified, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Listen, when you were born again, you were saved. You were brought into a place of relationship with God, born of the spirit of God, not born of corruptible things that it does passes away, but the incorruptible word of God. In other words, if the word of God said that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word is incorruptible. It remains forever and ever and ever. It didn't pass away. If you did that, he came into your life and he saved you. You were born again of the spirit of God. We want to spend just a little bit of time talking about that being born again or being saved by the Spirit of God. As we saw that take place in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24, it says, but he, because he continues forever, aren't you glad? He's not just here during church. He'll be with you when you go home. He'll be there tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. He's the one that we look to. It's talking about him as our high priest. He's talking about the high priest under Israel, under the old covenant. They were there and they passed away. They'd have to find a new high priest. But we don't have to find a new high priest. Jesus remains forever and ever. And because he does, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also, because it's unchangeable, able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the people. For this he did once for all, he offered himself. One time. He doesn't have to offer it every year. You don't have to go back every single year wondering who's going to offer it up, but he one time for everybody. And in that one sacrifice of his blood, it says he saved us to the uttermost. He saved you to the uttermost. How many of you think, well, I'm saved, but I have a lot of problems? Right? I got issues. Listen, Jesus is the answer to every issue. Jesus changes everything. Come on, Jesus changes everything. Well, I'm saved, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I got a lot of issues. Jesus died to deal with those issues. He came to save us to the uttermost. He came to give you life right here and life more abundantly right here. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But we can't partake of that life unless we believe. 
It's all accessed by faith. Grace is made available. Faith makes it possible. So you can't just go, well, that's good, but I got problems. You don't know my problems. He does know your problems. He hung on the pr- cross with your problems. He bore your physical problems on the whipping post that day. He bore your emotional problems when he was beaten in the face and around the head. He bore everything that sin has done to you. He already bore it so you wouldn't have to. But you have to trust that he saved you completely. That he purchased your life, spirit, soul, and body. That he came to be the Lord of your life, not to dominate you, but to set you free, to fulfill the greatest of your potential that was created on the inside of you. Come on, there's great things on the inside of you that he's already paid for, that he's working right now to develop, and all he needs is our cooperation. What he really needs is our faith in who he is to accomplish that. And so Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 says this, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all. He's rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. You can put that up there if you have that definition once again. When he talks about saved, he doesn't mean just I saved you from sin so you could go to heaven. It's the word sozo. And it means to deliver or to protect. It means to heal It means to preserve, it means to prosper, it means to do well or to make whole. It means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. See, when you said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, he said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to transform everything. I'm going to make you whole. See, we can look back at all the brokenness of our life, but he wants to put it back together. He wants to make you whole as if you'd never been broken. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal every aspect of your life that has been damaged or inflicted upon by sin and the nature of sin that has taken its hold. He's looking to save you from the power of sin that has had a hold of your life and set you free from that. He wants to do well by you in every aspect and prosper your life in such a dynamic way. But as John said, he wants to bring healing and prosperity even as your soul prospers. There's something about our mind, our will, and our emotion that has to get on board with this thing so that it can begin to flow throughout our whole being. He came to save you to the uttermost. says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6 says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through empty, through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, we get shaking things up and this and that. He said the traditions of the world and the philosophies of the world don't allow those to bring deceit or deception into your life. But understand that Christ, the very fullness of the Godhead, dwells in him bodily. And it says, and you and I are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Listen, he's the fullness of the Godhead, everything that God is and everything that God has for us. As we talk about this completeness and being saved to the uttermost and calling upon the name of the Lord, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's seven redemptive names of God. Seven redemptive names of God. There's many names of God, but seven redemptive names of God. Jesus is the fullness of all those redemptive names of God. And I believe, you know, just we're going to touch on this for a couple weeks. 
But just to bring the understanding that, listen, sometimes we're like, just Jesus, help me. But when we call upon Jesus for who he is in a a particular area and we put faith in that, he meets us right there where we put faith in that. I'll use this example. It may be a little bit weak, but it's the one that comes to me. So many of you know uh, Jonathan Rossler as worship leader. You come in, you know Jonathan Rossler's worship leader. Some of the tech team team knows Jonathan Rossler as the one who helps us figure out live stream and sound and all that. And so when they call upon Jonathan, they're like, Jonathan! But see, in that, they have faith that he can fix what they have. And nine times out of ten, whether he knows it or not, he goes up there and he's like, well, and and he fixes it. Why? Because there's something when they call upon that name that there's a grace that goes with it because there's faith attached to it. Call Jonathan. Jonathan can fix it. They may even be able to fix it themselves, but they don't know how right now. They call upon him. He runs up there, fixes it, and runs back here, and you never even knew that he left and fixed something. And so we know that facet of him. Many of you have known him longer, but you know that facet of him. But if you've been around Jonathan as long as I have, then you know that Jonathan has different names. If you grew up with Jonathan when he was a little boy, he was um, John Boy. John Boy, his dad used to call him John Boy. And so it's an endearing team some, uh, term. Sometimes the, the, the girls knew him as, as John. They would call him John Boy. I used to just call him the boy. If you don't know, we lived right next door to each other. Their front door was about 30 feet from our front door. And so... Uh, he has a sister. I have two girls. And so he was the only boy right there. So I just say the boy, right? You know him as the boy. And so he's either Jonathan, John boy, John, uh, uh, the boy. And then all of a sudden he starts going to school and they shorten his name. They start calling him Jay. So if you knew him at that time, then he starts playing athletics and he becomes Jay Roz. And so now he's got a lot of names, but you know, when, if you know him from a certain standpoint, if you know him and went to school with him as an athlete, you call him J-Roz. But everybody who played athletics with him, when they were calling on J-Roz, they were looking and expecting that on the basketball court, on the ball field, that he was going to perform to that level because that's how they knew him. That's how they were walking with him. If you called him John Boy, you were, his dad was looking and saying, listen, I'm calling on that, that potential, that training, my son, what I'm developing on the inside of him. Right? There's different things that you call upon. People who call upon him now see him as worship leader. And so if you need some singing or some songs or something, you call on Jonathan thinking he'll have a song or he can sing at this event or he'll prepare and get the sound ready. And, and he does that. Why? Because you're calling on a function of him that you're putting faith in and grace is there to provide that for you when you call upon that. He's also turned into Jonathan the dad, Jonathan the husband. And so I'm sure Brittany doesn't call upon him as the sound guy very often. But she calls upon a particular function of him as husband, that when she calls upon that, he begins to rise up, whether whether he knows it or not, there's grace working for him to be the husband he ought to be, and he rises to that when he's called upon. And when Charlotte and Olivia call daddy, he starts to function as daddy because he's called from that name. There's something in that name that is drawn. We all know him as Jonathan, but there's aspects that we call upon, that when called upon by faith, grace meets that place, and he fulfills that. When there's a draw upon it, we begin to see that and know that. And we understand that. And God is no different. That there's aspects of things that we need and we just throw it into one lump sum. We're looking for that. If you just call Jonathan and don't know what you're looking for, he's confused. You're confused. What do you want from me? Well, I don't know. I thought you could come up with it. It's like, I can't come up with it. People talk about creative people, and so I'm your creative. Let's do this. And they, well, what do you want? I don't know. You're the creative person. Come up with it. They go, you got to give us something to work with. Sometimes we just call on God and say, you know what to do. Just do something. And God's like, what do you want me to do? I don't know. Just do something. But when we look at him and we know, you know what? I know this is who you are. And I'm calling upon that name. And when I call upon that name in faith, there's a grace that meets me there. And you become that to me as you are ordained to come, become that to me. 
And so we're going to look at a couple of names of who Jesus is. And so first of all, his redemptive name is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. Come on, it's very important that we begin to look at and understand this just a little bit because it, it becomes a, almost all-encompassing when we begin to look at it and understand the 23rd Psalm in the light that the psalmist was really presenting it to us. We begin to see Jesus as our shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And so Psalms 23, many of you know this. You can probably quote it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Come on, we're like, I want this and I want that and I need this and I need that. And when you call upon him as the Lord, my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't look at lack. I look at the good shepherd who provides everything that I have need of. Everything that I have need of. And the Bible tells us right there, it says that we have everything that we have need of that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. If you don't know him as the shepherd, if you don't know him as the provider, if you don't know him as the healer, you don't know that aspect of him, you're missing out on something that's been provided for you by him and who he becomes in your life. Certainly he's Lord of all and he's master of all, but there's a place where we focus our faith just like uh, understanding who he is and that redemptive name. So when we call upon the name of the Lord, knowing that he's our shepherd, we know that he's bringing a place of provision and direction into our life. We don't have want when we have Jesus as our good shepherd. Verse two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. Come on, you might think, you know, the pasture is greener somewhere else, but God has led you into green pastures to produce and to feed you and to, to sustain you. He said, listen, I'm, I'm next to the roughest water I've ever been. There's white water right here. Well, listen, Jesus leads you beside still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Come on, things have been broken. He's beginning to restore. Emotional things are in an upheaval. Things are happening. He restores your soul. You've made wrong decisions. He's restoring your soul that you might make right decisions. He's leading us down that path of righteousness for his name's sake. Come on, what does it mean? He's leading us in paths of righteousness. We're walking down paths with him in right standing. He is our shepherd. He's our guide in the paths of life for his name's sake. We're walking with his name upon us. We're walking through life with him. It brings a declaration of who he is and what he's done in our life. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Come on, a shepherd always carried a rod and a staff. The rod was like a billy club, boy. The shepherd would beat off anything. The staff was to reach out and to pull. It was a walking stick that, that caused them to go uh, and, and move forward. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you have the staff, I know that you will rescue me. You'll pull me close to yourself, that we'll walk in these paths of righteousness. Your rod, I'm secure, that you will take care of anything that would come against my life. I trust in him. He's my shield, my buckler, my rock, my fortress. It's in him that I put my trust. He is my good shepherd. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Come on, we're all waiting for the calm to eat. He says, listen, it's more supernatural to have a table prepared right there in the midst of the enemy. The enemy's like, man, you ain't eating today. We got too much stuff going on. And God says, come on, belly up to the table. Just take a moment and forget what the enemy's doing. Belly up to the table. Say, please pass the biscuits. Because even though the enemy's got plans for you, I have a table prepared for you right in the presence of your enemy. He said, quit looking at all the stuff flying around. Let's just sit at the table and have some fellowship together right now. There's nothing that will put the enemy under your feet and cause him to be uh, set down quicker than to ignore him and begin to partake of what God has prepared for you. 
We're so distracted by the enemy so many times in our life. And he says, listen, I prepared a table for you to partake of the goodness of God right here in the midst of this situation to change everything. Belly up to the table and partake of the goodness of God. Quit partaking of everything the enemy's got planned and start partaking of what he's prepared for you. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. Come on, you are anointed. You are, thank you for your enthusiasm. You are anointed. You are anointed. He wants to be your provider. Your cup runs over. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, when you're walking with him, goodness and mercy's following you everywhere you go. Come on, you just feel like, you know, the enemy's dogging your tracks. When, when, when you have the good shepherd, the enemy's not dogging your tracks. Goodness and mercy is following you all the days of your life. Come on, you got a rear guard. When you're walking with God, you got a rear guard. It's called goodness and mercy. When, you get, when you're walking with the good shepherd, he's got your back. We don't have to keep looking back to wonder, is that coming back on me? He said, no, walk with me. Goodness and mercy will be your rear guard. Come on, he's your shepherd. He's your shepherd when you're looking through life. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and the sheep hear my voice, and a stranger's voice they'll not follow. How often are we listening to the stranger's voice? He said, listen, I come in and go out. I'm the shepherd of the sheep, and I come what a shepherd would do in those days, he would come to the sheepfold, he would open the gate, he would call the sheep, and he would lead the sheep out into the day, into the pasture to feed, or, or, or into the day for whatever the, the, the sheep needed for health, for healing. Uh, at different times in the spring, he would lead them out, to, uh, or, or whichever spring, to be sheared uh, so that their, their provision would come from them. But he would come and he would lead them out for whatever the activity was the day. He would guard them out there from all the predators and all that. And in the evening, he would draw them back into the sheepfold and count them, and he would call them by name, and they would go out, and they would come in by his direction. In the morning, in the evening, in the noontime, he's our good shepherd. He provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd. Even now, he sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us, to be our shepherd, to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to protect us. When we begin to say, I don't have direction, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, we begin to call upon him, Jehovah Rohi, Jesus, the Lord, my shepherd. I need guidance, I need direction, I need understanding, and he provides it. I need calm in my life, I need sustenance in my life, and the shepherd provides that which you have need of. When you call and have faith, he has it. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's providing for me. I don't have want. He is my good shepherd. He said, I truly care for the sheep, not as one who is a hireling that does it for pay, but I do it with all of my heart. He is Jehovah Jireh. Jesus is your provider. That name first came about, redemptive name of God, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. Abraham is taking Isaac up on the hill to sacrifice him in the altar. He raises the knife. You know the story. He goes all the way up the, 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 the mountain. He raises the knife, and God says, don't harm the child. And God said this. He said, because you've been obedient to give your son, your only son, I have provided a ram as a substitute. And Abraham surely, he said, surely you are the Lord, my provider. Because in that moment, what was needed was provided. Throughout history, he was called the Lord, my provider. 
How often are we trying and struggling to provide for ourselves and look for provision when we can call upon him with faith and know that he is the one who provides what we have need of. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul speaking to the church at Philippi about the sustenance that's been brought. He says that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus says, by Jesus, I am your supply. I am the one who provides what you have need of. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? He said, listen, he provided the ram. Abraham gave up, was willing to give his son, his only son, And God provided a ram in the thicket, which was a type and a shadow of Jesus. But when we came to our sin, God provided by doing what? Giving his son, his only son. See, what he required of Abraham in obedience, he provided the substitute. What we needed and was required of our life, we could not give. He gave by giving his son his only son. And he said, listen, if while you were dead and away from me and a sinner and had guilt and shame attached to your life and you were going the wrong direction, I gave my son, my only son, how would I not with him freely provide for you everything that you need? I'm your provider. To call upon him and say, you're my provider. I give you my all. And you give me your all. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow uh, will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, you can worry about tomorrow forever. Tomorrow's coming. And tomorrow has things in it. Some good, some bad. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he provides for us everything that we have need of that will show up and take care of tomorrow. He who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole and prosper. He wants to transform our life fully. He saved us to the uttermost. And he is the person that you can call upon That every aspect of him has provided what you have need of. He is the Lord, your shepherd. He is the Lord, your provider. And then we have five other redemptive names. But I just want you to go and I want you to take those to heart. I want you to begin to call upon the name of the Lord as your shepherd, as your provider. Begin to put faith in that because he saved you from the things that would take from you. He saved you from the destruction of the enemy, from the thief and the, the, the predators out there cons- looking to consume your life, the enemy of your soul. He's there to be your shepherd, your protector, and your provider. But you can know that, but you need to call upon him. And when you do in faith, there's grace to meet you there for that relationship. Father, we praise you and we magnify and we glorify you this morning. We're so grateful and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. Jesus, that you shed your blood that we might truly be made whole. When you gave yourself one time for every single person, you gave it that we might be saved to the uttermost, that when we received you into our life, we received life, not just a sprinkle of life, not just a a little benefit of life, but you gave us a brand new life. And it was a life overflowing with all that you are and all that you have. Your word declares that when we understand and receive the love of Christ, that we are filled with the fullness of God. We understand that you came and you are the head of the church and that you desire to fill us with all of yourself, that we the church might be the fullness of of him who fills everything. Let us see that you are the God who is more than enough, that you desire to provide for us richly, that we might enjoy life with honor and reverence to all that you've given to us. 
that we might know you more intimately and personally. And in knowing you and seeking after your face, we begin to see that you are the provider of all things that we have need of. So we glorify and we magnify you today. If there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Or maybe you made him the Lord of your life, but you thought, I just thought I was getting to heaven, and now I realize he wants to be Lord of everything and provide all that I need. So you may want to recommit your life. If you're here and never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he said, if you'll confess me with your mouth as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead, you'll be saved. The Bible says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new, which means your old man of sin has been washed away. And a new man emerges, a transforming life begins. If you're watching, you're in this room, say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning ready to lay down my way of doing things. I realize that I've gone away from you. And I desire for you to come into my heart. I believe that you died for my sin. God raised you from the dead that I might be forgiven and justified. So right now, with my mouth, I confess you as Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there'll be altar workers up here. They'd love to give you a packet. If you're watching online, you prayed that for the first time, go on to our, our website uh, to tell your story and uh, uh, let us know that you prayed that prayer for the first time so we can get you some materials to help you to move forward in this new life in Christ. Why don't you stand up? Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Fark seeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.